All right, Chris. It's your first day on the job. You've got this. You've read your books. You've studied the past. You know the history of Starfleet. You know the present of Starfleet. You know the future of Starfleet. Ensign Chris, you are Starfleet. You are Starfleet. You, you've got this. Good morning, Ensign Chris. You're a little oh. early today. Commander Scotty. Good morning, sir. It's, uh, it's a pleasant morning, sir. It's great to see you. Uh, good to see you, too. Uh, I noticed you're here for your shift a little early. It doesn't start for another 30 minutes. Everything well, okay? Yes, sir. Everything is everything is fine. I I just wanted to get an early start on my day. You know, first day, the jitters a little bit. I just uh, I just wanted to be here as early as possible. Yeah, we've all been there, Ensign. Don't worry. We're glad to have you here. You were selected for this duty for a reason. Be, be confident. This work <laughs> ethic of yours doesn't go unnoticed, by the way. Sir. Is that a... Is that an alarm, sir? What, what do we do? Calm down, Ensign. Uh, you remember your training. Uh, let's go down the checklist of what it could possibly be. Yes, uh, okay. Uh, could a buildup of muons resulted in a potential warp core breach? Sir, what's a muon? Think back to elementary physics. You would have learned this when you were younger. Um, how about a decion field? Check for a decion field. A decion field? Uh, Commander Scotty. Sir, I can't, I can't lie anymore. I've got to be honest with you. I've never seen an episode of Star Trek in my goddamn life. I think probably the most often asked question about the show is, is why the Star Trek phenomenon? And this is incidentally not just a fan or a tricky question. It is now being asked by communications experts, by sociologists, educators, and others. Uh, there have already been a couple of master's theses written on this, and there are a couple of doctorates uh, presently at work. And it could be an important question because you can ask, uh, how can a simple space opera with blinking lights and zap guns and a hobgoblin with pointy ears uh, reach out and touch the hearts and minds of, of literally millions of people and become a cult in, in some cases? Obviously, what this means is that television has incredible power. Uh, they're saying that if a Star Trek can do this, uh, then perhaps another carefully calculated show could move people in other directions. What's to keep selfish interests uh, to, from creating other cults for selfish purposes, industrial cartels, political parties, governments? Ultimate power in this world, as you know, has always been one simple thing, the control and manipulation of minds. Fortunately, any attempt, however, to manipulate people through any so-called Star Trek formula is doomed to failure, and I'll tell you why in just a moment. First of all, our show did not reach and affect all these people because it was deep and great literature. Star Trek was not Ibsen or Shakespeare. To get a primetime show, network show, on the air and to keep it there, 
you must attract and hold a minimum of 18 million people every week. You have to do that in order to woo people away from Gomer Pyle, Bonanza, Beverly Hillbillies, and so on. Um, and we tried to do this with entertainment, action, adventure, conflict, and so on. But once we got on the air, and within the limits of those action and adventure limits, we, we did not accept the myth that the television audience has an infantile mind. We had an idea, and we had a premise. Thank you, and we still believe that. As a matter of fact, we decided to risk the whole show on, on that premise. We believe that the often ridiculed mass audience is sick of this world's petty nationalism and all its old ways and old hatreds, and that people are not only willing but anxious to think beyond those petty beliefs that have for so long kept mankind divided. Thank you. So you see that the, the formula, the magic ingredient that many people keep seeking and many of them keep missing is, is really not in Star Trek. It is in the audience. There is an intelligent life form out on the other side of that television tube. <laughs> the whole show was an attempt to say that humanity will reach maturity and wisdom on the day that it begins not just to tolerate, but to take a special delight in differences in ideas and differences in life forms. We tried to say that the worst possible thing that can happen to all of us is for the future to somehow press us into a common mole where we begin to act and talk and look and think alike. If we cannot learn to actually enjoy those small differences, take a positive delight in those small differences between our own kind here on this planet, then we do not deserve to go out into space and meet the diversity that's almost certainly out there. And I think this is what people responded to. The result of that was after seven years after being dropped by the network of, of saying those things, there are now more people watching it than ever before. And if you ascribe those things to any mystic or scriptural brilliance in Star Trek, you miss the entire point. What Star Trek proves, as faulty as individual episodes could be, is that the much maligned common man and common woman has an enormous hunger for brotherhood. They are ready for the 23rd century now, and they are light years ahead of their petty governments and their visionless leaders. Well, sweet, dude. It's fucking episode one, dude. Hell yeah. We're doing it, dude. <laughs> First of many, I'm sure. The first of many. Welcome to King of the Shill, our first baby. Yeah. This uh, is the one we I, screw up miserably. Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah, we get the this, next ones right. Yeah, dude. Uh, someday we might do the uh, first episode, uh, the first try at episode one. Maybe we'll put that like uh, yeah. some available on like social media sometime and you can hear how really just shoddy and weird <laughs> it is. Uh, yeah. But uh, but yeah, no, it's great. We're, we're doing this. Um, we're excited. Uh, welcome to King of the Shill. My name is Chris. And I'm Scott. And we are going to talk about Star Trek today. Yes, we are. But before we jump into Star Trek, and believe me, I could make a hundred hour long podcast about Star Trek. Tell me a little bit about King of the Shill. What are we doing here? Ah, 
Well, I mean, I think the story is a little bit longer than what we have time for, but I'll give you the Reader's Digest version. Okay. Um, you and I really met in earnest a couple years ago, became fast friends over talking about things that we loved and things that we hated, and really kind of got into this topic of, have you seen this? Have you played this? Have you done this? Let me sell it to you. Let me tell you why you're missing out. Let me let me gush. Let me wax poetic to you and show you all the things and take you to all the places. And uh, we really we really have had some great times doing that. And I think that uh, I think that we have a lot of things to say about the shit that we like. And I think that there's probably some uh, some really good discussion to be had here. So. Yeah, I'll piggyback on that. I think even from our first couple conversations about Resident Evil 2, right? That was the first real piece of media we bonded over. I think we were even thinking then like this. These are great conversations beyond just kind of the shit flinging that you see on the Internet and even like (laughs) with some of our other friends. But uh, yeah, I think we just we always knew that we both had a passion for not only these things that we like, but really talking about them together. And it's really become one of the core components of our friendship. So we wanted to capture it here and kind of introduce some of this stuff to other people out there too. show yeah, them, show them why we love it. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, I think as, as you so perfectly said to me one time, uh, not too long ago, in fact, I think it was what, five minutes ago <laughs> that you think, you know, me better than I know myself. And yes. that's what we that's what that's what's brought us here today to Star Trek. Oh, yeah. Uh, so jumping into the love of my life, Star Trek, I think this is my favorite television. At least we're going to be talking specifically about Star Trek, the next generation today. For anyone that doesn't know, that's the show from the late 80s, late 80s, early 90s. And this is the one that has Captain Picard. So this is Patrick Stewart. Uh, this is probably my favorite television show of all time. Uh, there's I don't think it is the greatest television of show of all time, but it's something that stuck with me from really my childhood all the way till now. And I still rewatch it every couple of years from start to finish. And I always find something new. Um, and 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 we're we're specifically g- jumping into the next generation and not really starting with um you know, the original series, because, you know, I think there's there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff to capture with Star Trek. And Absolutely. especially especially for somebody like myself, who's never really gotten into it, has never really, uh, you know, watched it in earnest before. Um, you know. It's I, I think it really behooves us to uh, to just focus on something specifically. So that's what you've really brought here today, right? Yeah. So kind of the idea we're rolling with with King of the Shill is we just like you would watch something like E3 or a movie trailer. We want to give kind of a vertical slice of the thing we like something that's easily digestible because you could talk for hours and hours about something and never really get across why it is that it's so special to you and why it's something that's worth engaging with. And I think that the core component of why I like Star Trek is exemplified in the Gene Roddenberry quote we just played before, right, about it respecting its audience. And Mm -hmm. today I'd like to walk you through a few of my favorite episodes 
one that's a standalone and I've kind of constructed an arc for you. I'm really okay. interested to see uh, what you awesome. think about it. But okay. I, I've, I've constructed kind of a, a, a one arc across the whole of TNG uh, for you to follow to kind of give uh, a little peek into the greater universe of that world and why it's so special. OK, sweet. And uh, I well, first off, I think that sounds fucking fantastic i can't wait especially because you know you know me and sub so like uh, constructing an arc on my interest is peaked uh (laughs) but i think this is really i think this is really good too uh for you know anybody that might be listening that has never you know really also gotten into star trek you know uh you know maybe watch these episodes uh as well after you listen to this and see what you think um if you've if you've if you're a Trekkie, if you've been into Star Trek before, you know, this might be a, a, a an interesting little deep dive on these episodes for you. Um, so I think uh, I think there's a lot of fun to be had here. So, yeah. And I think we should probably talk about that, too, briefly. Uh, I th- we are intending to structure this conversation as an initial shill. So I'm going to be reviewing this arc with you. We're going to go ahead and consume that content together. So we're going to watch these episodes and we'll then watch party. Re- yep. I'll watch party. And then we're going to regroup and kind of break down the thoughts that you have coming out of my initial shill. And then basically coming to terms with like, did did the shill kind of get you into it? Is this something that you're going to continue to engage with or is it just kind of like a, a mare, a fizzle out kind of thing? But I think you're yeah. really going to like Star Trek. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, seeing what you have in store for me. So I have to start with a few anecdotes, right? OK, what is Star Trek? Why do so many people care about it and why won't you? Scott, shut the fuck up about it. <laughs> so, um, I'm so, specifically interested in number three. Yes. So Star Trek, for anyone that doesn't know, is a live action television series that aired on NBC, Desilu and CBS. I believe are the three networks. They are a science fiction fantasy show set in the far future of a Earth timeline. So the 2300s and the 2400s AD, and they follow the exploits of members of an organization called Starfleet and Starfleet represents the United Federation of Planets. These are as close as we're going to get to the good guys in the Star Trek universe. And they're basically a alliance of uh, a diplomatic alliance between Earth and other friendly civilizations in our galactic quadrant. Now, Starfleet's mission is to boldly go where no man has gone before, which means. Uh, Yes, those famous words, those famous words, right? The mission statement of the USS Enterprise is actually the mission statement of the show and its characters, which is uh, to seek out new worlds and new civilizations and to boldly go where no man has gone before. So we're relative newcomers to space travel, even in this time. And the shows follow exploration of space right it's a new age of exploration uh we live in 2020 in a time where the world is largely explored right there's nothing interesting really left to find that's right this kind of piques the imagination in that way so that's star trek we're going to be talking about the next generation which is the second series because that's my favorite uh and why won't i 
shut the fuck up about it. Well, <laughs> well specifically, I'm looking at, at Discord right now. Yeah. And your avatar is Picard. <laughs> My avatar right now on Discord is Jean-Luc Picard. And there's That's a right. reason for that. Uh, so how I got into Star Trek. I've told you this story before, and I'm sure it's very similar uh, for a lot of modern Trek fans is I used to watch TV and movies with my dad. It was like a kind of a ritual we did where he had his man cave in the basement. Mm, right. Don't so we ju- all just the boys cracking <laughs> yeah, cold ones with right. the boys. Right. Absolutely. So, Set in phasers. Yeah, done. Yep. So um we would we would uh, for all 18 years that I lived at home, we would uh, have little watch parties together. And my dad was really attached to the original series of Star Trek because he watched it when he was younger. And when I was a kid, I hated that show. Oh, my oh, God. Man. Really? It, yeah, it was so unbelievably boring to a small child because <sighs> the show was all about talking it out and diplomacy and the occasional fight scene, which even to me then was like badly choreographed and kind of crappy uh, effects and things like that. So I just didn't have any interest. Right. Sure. Understandable. Later on in life, when I was in my teenage years, I used to do all of my homework in front of the TV. So I had massive ADD. And my mom would buy me basically I would ask her to buy me collected DVD sets, stuff I could like watch while I would do my homework. And right. one time I got Star Trek The Next Generation and I put that disc in and I saw that bald ass man <laughs> sitting that old codger <laughs> sitting in the seat of the Enterprise as the captain. And I was like. What the hell is this guy? Exactly. What the hell is this? Right. You can't do Star Trek without Captain Kirk. (laughs) Lo and behold, uh, those DVDs would start a lifelong fascination. So the reason I won't shut the fuck up about Star Trek beyond my nostalgia is I do truly think it is one of the most at least the next generation is one of the most competent made for mass consumption TV shows of that era. It's very like uh, we have spoken about this before, but there's a perception that Star Trek is like too smart for you, right? That it's mm-hmm. made for a different kind of consumer. Yeah. And as Gene pointed out, I don't think that's really true. It's it's definitely smarter than a lot of its contemporary shows. But those contemporary shows, like Gene pointed out, were things like Gomer Pyle. Right. <laughs> like they're. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Th- it's stuff that doesn't really require any kind of thought from the person and do you go ahead well so like i'm I'm trying to think about this in the perspective from the perspective of like when the originals when the original series premiered and like obviously there is a very stark contrast to what was coming out of the time Mm -hmm. but what was that like for the next generation what was coming out (laughs) of the time you know around around that that was premiering I, you know, like, do you think that it that, that it struggled for the same like reason that that or not? I don't want to say it, it struggled, but do you think it faced that same challenge or do you think that there was enough already, you know, pre baked in Star Trek fandom that that was a non issue? I don't think it was an issue. So consider that at the close of the 80s, right, 
the some of the biggest shows had been things like Miami Vice. Yeah. Hawaii Five O. Right. Um, this is before the 90s soap opera period, like Friends and things like that. So they mm-hmm. were kind of in a transitory period. And it's competitors in by the middle of its lifespan were those early 90s television spots. And yeah. it was very different from them. Like you think about things like Full House. Um, uh, what did I just say? Full House. Uh, uh, Friends. Things like that. Friends. Right. right. Um, And all these other shows. And again, they're still kind of very grounded, uh, comedic. um, You know, they're they're not really substantive in a way beyond very basic platitudes. Right. Yeah. Like the kind of the deepest lessons or thought provoking things you get from friends is to be good to people and things like that. You know what I mean? Sure. Right. Smoking is bad. Yeah. Smoking is bad. (laughs) (laughs) You don't get a Star Trek. The next generation didn't really struggle in that way. But uh, I think that what's so interesting about it was the direction it took in comparison to uh, the original series. And I don't I don't want to belabor this part too much, but there's a lot of uh, interesting stories. I would say that it is nearly as interesting as the show itself. of how the series was made. There's a book called the unauthorized documentary or something like that. Yeah. Uh, I read it when I was uh, in high school and mm-hmm. like, for example, Patrick Stewart, his agents told him taking the role as captain Picard would be career suicide. Wow. Um, really? The entire writing staff that originally signed on to the show quit because they couldn't Holy handle shit. Gene Roddenberry's stipulations that, enlightened people so this changed after he died but he insisted that there should be no interpersonal drama between the crew because they're enlightened 24th century individuals and they've evolved beyond it and the writers were understandably frustrated because that was kind of their meat and potatoes was human conflict and interaction so there's a lot of really interesting stories about the creation of the next generation but i don't think it really struggled i think that especially compared to the original run of Star Trek. So Star Trek did get canceled, the original series in the 60s. And it it became kind of a cult hit and became way more popular after it was syndicated on Desilu. By the time that... uh, By the time that The Next Generation came out, it was still pretty much a household name, right? Even if you weren't particularly interested in it, you knew Captain Kirk, right? Right. He was a pop icon at that point. Right. But yeah, I don't think it really struggled. And I think that it spread its wings in a way that uh, the original series wasn't able to. to. Sure. Right. So with that said, I won't shut up about this show because no matter what I throw about it, throw uh, against it, rather, in terms of my usual cynicism, I can't really find a reason to dislike this show. Gene said in that quote, and it's kind of the core thesis for how I would pitch the show to people, that they assumed that the people watching the show had a hunger for different topics, right? They were tired of, like he said, like petty nationalism and things like that. He he respected his audience. And the thing I will say about The Next Generation is that a lot of the time it does respect its audience. Mm -hmm. Um, No 
series is perfect and the next generation is far from perfect there's a lot of really flat episodes that miss the mark but when the next generation hits it hits and it's really um humbling is not the word but it really makes you think when you go and you watch this 30 year old show and see them touch upon topics that are still very crudely handled by multi-million dollar projects of the modern era and it, it <laughs> yeah. kind of makes you wonder like where did we either go wrong or like lose the plot of the novel do you right? think that that was do you think that that was almost like a prophetic from gene roddenberry in that <laughs> in that way almost i don't i don't want to overhype the man but i think that he he was very clearly ahead of his time at least in terms of your typical hollywood mentality he was surrounded by a lot of people that understood his vision right and helped helped him achieve it star trek again like a lot of uh historical information makes it feel like it was a very collaborative project a lot Mm -hmm. of the time by a lot of passionate people and i think that he was ahead of his time but I, th- I think that it's more that he took a big risk and it paid off in a big way. And Hollywood has just never been incentivized to really take that risk again. I mean, we could we could wax philosophical about it, but it's it's just really saddening that Star Trek as it is, is such a kind of a flash in the pan. I guess mm-hmm. I'll call it right. Yeah. Where it you would think that that formula would have been figured out and we'd see more of it. But it's just not that common. Unfortunate. Yeah. And I'm sure and I'm sure you'll I'm sure we'll yeah. probably touch on Picard at some point. <laughs> oh, God. So Star Trek Picard, I think we'll have to include some of that material in our watch party. Uh-huh. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know, recently uh, Star Trek rebooted a specific series for Picard called Star Trek Picard that takes place in the future. And it directly I'm, I'm just going to be colloquial about it. They they spit on the legacy of the <laughs> oh original series and the scathing. next generation. Yeah, they it, I can completely understand trying to redo something for a modern era, but it's to the point where you question whether it should have been Star Trek related at all. Uh-huh. The the Orville by uh the family guy man i forget his uh, name seth right mcfarland now. yes thank you seth mcfarland yeah. that is more star trek than star trek picard Ooh. or star trek discovery and that's not <laughs> Our, a, I, that's not a bold statement i think anyone who watches the show would agree with me oh mm. yikes yeah but let's let's we'll save the scathing review of new trek <laughs> for later okay let me take you on a journey my man i'm ready dude let's go so I want to touch upon a singular episode that I did kind of a deep dive on because I think it's a great example of like a a hit, a bullseye on the show's behalf. But then knowing you, right, in all of our Mm -hmm. conversations, I know you like the lore. Oh, yeah. You're the (laughs) lore guy. Yeah. yeah, So I've constructed an arc across, I Uh, guess, uh, five seasons of the show. Oh, shit. <laughs> it is a it is a uh, four piece. It's a four piece meal. Can we it, come up? So, you know how there's like 
machete order yeah what can we call this uh michelle well, order <laughs> the michelle order um well we can call it good picard good picard all <laughs> yeah. right all right good but, picard i like yeah, it the michelle order we'll, we'll go with the michelle order for all now right. michelle order it is yeah uh so let's start with one of i think the most popular episodes of the show and for good reason okay season two measure of a man okay so i'm going to set the scene for you the next generation's bridge crew bear in mind right star trek they're on a a spaceship right and they they're basically running it like the navy not really but sure kind of similar right so there's a captain yeah that basically yeah there's a there's a high there's a formal hierarchy to everything right so there's Uh the captain captain jean-luc picard this is patrick stewart uh, he's a, a noted diplomat. He's a, a living legend. He's got years of experience under his belt. He's he used to be the wild, brash youth, but now he's wisened by years of uh, exploring the galaxy and different experiences. Right. So Jean-Luc Picard is our rock. Everyone respects him. He always has a handle on the situation, except when he doesn't. <laughs> and, and he's kind of to, to call him the foil for other characters is not correct, but he is often used as a baseline against with against which other characters are either measured or compared to not would necessarily you, directly. Would you call him the constant? Yes, absolutely. Okay. What's what's so interesting about this series compared to the original series is that the original series is really based around three people. It's based around Captain Kirk, Mr. Spock, and Bones, Dr. Leonard McCoy. And they basically do everything, right? Picard is definitely a pillar just like Captain Kirk is, but the show gives him breathing room to not have to be the solution for every problem, to not have to be the focal point for every issue, right? It gives a lot more respect to the rest of the cast. Members of the cast, including our focal point for this episode, uh, Lieutenant Commander Data. Lieutenant Commander Data is interesting because despite hundreds of years of progress, this ship is home to humans, but also hundreds probably of other races, at least not if not dozens of other races. Commander Data is unique and he is a functioning android. And this is not common in the world of Star Trek. So Data was built by uh, Dr. Noonien Sung, who becomes a major character for a few episodes uh, specifically related to Data's backstory and his lore. No pun intended. But uh, he said Data has a brother named Lore. So (laughs) related to his lore, unintentional pun. Uh... But uh, so Data uh, was found by the Federation on a planet that was destroyed by another entity. It's not really important. And to repay the favor, he decided he wanted to enroll in Starfleet. And he's a curiosity for most of the crew, where in the original series, you would have Spock kind of serve as not necessarily a comic relief, but um, I gave you the example that uh, Spock and McCoy are kind of the angel and the devil uh, devil on uh, Captain Kirk's shoulder. But -hmm. instead of good and evil, it's logic and like intuition, gut feeling. 
right? Mm. Data fulfills a lot of the Spock role in a kind of a different way where he's a he's often the fish out of water. Right. He doesn't have emotions as an android. He's insanely strong and insanely smart, but he doesn't have emotions. And it makes him very curious about the ways that the more normal crew, right, the biotic crew interact and like go about their lives. Right. He's a highly decorated officer. He has many friends on the ship. Uh, But one of his primary goals throughout the show is to become more human, right? He he wants to continue the legacy of his father, the the roboticist that created him, by basically becoming perfect, right? He 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 wants to continue on his legacy. I I think that that is a that's a very um I don't want to say I don't want to say tired. I'm certainly not saying this in reference to the next generation. But it is a tired trope for androids. Yes. Um, to to like this whole assimilation thing. And I have to say that, you know, one of the things that I watched recently called Raised by Wolves. Yeah. I think handled that dilemma exceptionally poorly. Yes. And I think that it is very easy to say, well, the androids want to be human, and so they are trying to assimilate. And once we've established that, then we can just get away with having them act like humans or because yes. they're assimilating. So what I, I again, the next generation is not a perfect show. They are definitely guilty of this. There are several instances where I mean, th- this is a show you can nitpick to death, right? But sure. You can nitpick that sometimes data makes decisions that are clearly emotional, right? Even though they justify some reason why he does it. You can nitpick that sometimes, despite being a literal computer, data is unable to solve simple problems because it's more interesting that, oh, the human gets one up on the machine, right? This is a a 80s and 90s mindset on technology, right? Got it. You have to Mm -hmm. keep that in mind. I, I'm going to give you a spoiler here. So spoiler alert, skip ahead like 15 seconds. <laughs> Data's journey to become human falls flat on its face by the end of the show, okay. as do most of the major hooks of the show, unfortunately. Oh. So the, oh. there's a there's a relationship I'll touch upon a little bit here between Picard and Guinan. OK, that falls on its face. Riker Yikes. and uh we haven't talked about Commander Riker yet, but Riker and his uh, kind of love affair with Deanna Troy kind of falls on his face. Everything kind of falls on his face. Yeah. Uh, but what's so good about the overall themes, right? Like it, it's a show that I don't worry about nitpicking because it's almost too easy. Right. Mm, and the, yeah. the greater themes, the greater package still hooks me is that just like with Jordy LaForge, who is blind, they never hover too long on Data's journey to become human. He remains largely the same character with some growth throughout the show. Well, I think and that is a very important detail because I think with modern modern shows that are very often critiqued in a way that like, um, you know, you should just sort of let things happen because they, you know, are 
presented in a certain way. And it's like, as long as the writers of a show or as long as the, the, the creators of a show or, or a film, you know, present even a minuscule amount of context to something, then it makes sense enough to exist. And I think that this is something that is like, it sounds to me like is established about his character, but the show never presents it as something that you should expect to be resolved in a certain way. Right. Like uh, I'll give you, this is, it's not really a spoiler, right? Uh, we're going to talk about data in some detail here with the measure of a man, but um, it's clear that data isn't purely robotic, right? Despite not having emotions, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so in the first season, we're not going to talk about her very much. There is a character that is originally the head of security named Tasha Yar, and she is killed in season one. Spoiler alert. I don't know if you could tell by the fact that she is in none of the marketing material that exists anywhere, but she dies in season one in a pretty unceremonious way, really. Oh, okay. And the, the, the trick here is that I think it is the second episode of the series. They do kind of a replay of an earlier TOS episode where the, tr- the crew basically gets high on drugs, right? Basically. <laughs> and they all act funny. And that's the well, crux of the episode is like we're in danger because everybody's high. This is officially my favorite episode. (laughs) It shouldn't be. Uh, (laughs) Spoiler alert. Data and Tasha Yar have a sexual encounter. Oh, okay. And after she passes away, Data Uh keeps a hologram of her to remember her by. And when asked about this and other instances where he displays kind of a grief process, he explains that for him friendship is that like he has processing servos or something right yeah and just like a computer processor the more that he processes the presence and interactions with certain people the more that his servos become accustomed to it and then when they're gone their absence is that much more notable right so that's a very like human way of looking at it right it is like it's it's said in kind of the lens of a machine, but it's like it's literally kind of don't know what you got till it's gone. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But it, at the same time, I think it is a very calculated way of looking at it, which really helps contextualize the like who it's coming from. Yeah, exactly. Data is one of my favorite characters. And this show is a deep dive on him this episode. So. All right. Measure of a man. Right. We, yes. we, we know we understand a little bit about data now and we have a problem. OK, no one has ever really given any thought to what it means to be an artificially created life form. And this oh. is now we're we're coming to a head here in this episode. So the synopsis of the episode is that there is a man that visits the Enterprise. He's accompanied by an admiral and his name is Commander Maddox. It's Bruce Maddox, I think. Right. Okay. And Bruce Maddox works for the Daystrom Institute, which is basically the scientific attache to Starfleet. These names are sci-fi as fuck. Yeah. Uh, Daystrom himself is like a person. So uh, he has like some kind of he has a backstory too, like a checkered past or something like that. But ultra corpo. Yes. Uh, So uh, corpo, but not necessarily sinister, even though Bruce is a little sinister in this episode. So Um, corpy. 
Uh, yeah, Corpy. Yes. All right. Corp, Corpa Jason. <laughs> Corpa Jace. So the Daystrom Institute is basically responsible for the vast majority of the scientific uh, matters of Starfleet. Right. Yeah. So you have immediately framed within the episode, right? You have an admiral coming on board that knows Picard and he's got this guy with him. This guy has this smug shit eating grin on his face, right? And he's eyeing up commander data and the admiral looks at Picard. This is basically the start of the episode. And he says, captain commander Maddox is here to work on your Android. Boom. In comes the foreboding music. And I actually wrote this down because I've been watching a lot of Star Trek yeah. lately. And uh-huh. that was a hell of a time to cue in the foreboding music by Star Trek standards. Right? So right away, you're like, this guy is up to no good. Right. So Maddox starts talking with Data and he's a student of robotics and he he is a student specifically of the work of Data's father, uh, Noonien Sung. Right. The guy that created him. And he's Noonien Sung is like he's like uh, Stephen Hawking is not even fair. Right. Like he's he's so far ahead of everybody else that it's like magic. Right. OK. Yeah. So he starts talking to Data and he keeps calling him an it. Oh. And he treats him like a thing. And it's very obvious, especially if you watch the show closely, because Star Trek is really particular. I think thanks to Gene Roddenberry about like giving people respect. Right. OK, mm-hmm. like it's it's very deliberate in the way that like the people interact with each other on the Enterprise. So it's okay. really jarring and he won't make eye contact with data. He's very dismissive of him. It's it. The show is really clear that like he's not a good guy. Right? So the 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 boundaries of the show inherently make these things all the more salient. Yes. Okay. It's not just problem of the week. They're yeah. telling to you with with uh body language even, right? That mm-hmm. this guy is not he's not up to up to spec, right? Like he's he doesn't even consider data who by this point, like if you're a fan of the show, you love established, data, right? Right. right. So, season two. I mean season two. Exactly. So he's already kind of he's festering in your mind. You don't like this guy, right? Right. Mm-hmm. So uh basically Bruce Maddox is trying to compel Data to submit to a procedure where he's going to completely disassemble Data from scratch and hopefully learn more about how he was created and maybe make more Datas. Now, this is not inherently an issue, right? If you on the face of it, because Data is an android, you could hypothetically take him apart and not kill him, right? Mm hmm. So Data starts asking him some questions and he this is all techno babble stuff. But you come away with the idea that he's not Bruce Maddox is not quite ready to do this yet. And Data explains that there is an intangible quality to memory that he doesn't feel that he's ready to capture yet. So, yeah, you could take me apart and save my data and re-upload me or whatever, but I'm afraid that. I'll only remember the facts of the thing. It's it's not like I will have really lived in the moment, right? Sure, right. Now, normally, this would be in the, sh- the part of the show where an enlightened individual is like, "Thank you for your feedback. I'll go do more work. Maybe we can correspond." No, <laughs> right? No. Commander Bruce Maddox says, "Well, I got Starfleet to 
forcibly transfer you to this station you're docked at where i'm in charge so you motherfucker yeah exactly you belong to me now and i command you to submit to this procedure dude what a dick what a dick indeed so this is this is like it sounds i mean from everything that you've told me about star trek it is so deviant from like what you are used to seeing even for the boundaries of a you know perceived villain yeah like this is this goes against kind of the core components of what starfleet is yeah right picard brings this up too and we'll talk about it there's a trial all right so uh so data understandably concerned is left really with only one option. The crew is kind of the crew obviously is really mad at Maddox, right? And they're trying to come up with a way to get data out of it. But data basically comes to the conclusion that I have to resign from Starfleet. I don't want to undergo the procedure. He's my commanding officer and can order me to do it. So I have to resign from Starfleet. It's the only way to not be able to do this, right? Right. There's a whole lot of intercrew drama, right? But basically, Maddox doesn't take this well either. So jump cut for a moment. Picard, they're they're getting repairs or something on this station. Picard runs into an old acquaintance, a judge, a JAG officer that had previously tried him. <laughs> yeah, a JAG officer. <laughs> We're from Pittsburgh. JAG off is a specific word here. If you know, you know. If you knew, you knew. But um uh, this Jagoff, right? She, she previously <laughs> tried Picard okay. after he lost the Stargazer, which don't worry about it. It's backstory for him. He was the captain of a ship that was lost. Yeah. Not his fault. Got it. But it's it's implied they have a history. Possibly Beef. a ro- Yeah. Po- well, possibly a romantic history that oh. was spoiled by beef. Because she went hard on him. There's nothing wrong there, dude. There's nothing worse than a hot, steamy romance ruined by spoiled beef. Yeah, exactly. So, um, they're meeting in her office because because Picard is obviously very frustrated, right? Yes. And Maddox drops a bomb. He says, "It doesn't data. We don't have to accept his resignation." He's property. Uh, he is the property of Starfleet. He goes to level eight. Dick. Yeah, exactly. He, he, he skips, maxes out. He skips two through six and just yeah. goes straight to eight. Yeah, he 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 turns it up to 11 metaphorically. Right. Ugh. So data previously explained this to Picard, which is even more salient, like of um, why? Why? Uh, why am I compelled to do this? Basically. Yeah, right? sure. Well, it's for the good of Starfleet data. Right. And data gives him a good hypothetical, which is Jordy LaForge, who is blind. He is uh, LeVar Burton plays Jordy LaForge, the uh, head of engineering. Right. Mm-hmm. He's blind and he has this visor. He can't actually see, but the visor gives him basically uh, information like in, directly into his brain. So he can see like ultraviolet light thermal like all kinds of stuff right oh and that's cool yeah so he's got supervision and data's like well jordy's visor are superior to human eyes so why are not all of you required to get those implants and picard <laughs> kind of stumped he can't answer and he's like precisely because i am not human 
that's the difference, right? So Picard's already like he's he's riled up. He's he's ready to get philosophical. He's uh-huh. like, you can't do this to my man data. Right? <laughs> so again, I, I just want to like this episode is great too because it it really drives home kind of like to call it subtle is not fair because like in the grand scheme of subtle, but at least for like a show of its kind. There's these subtleties of like Maddox basically breaks down in this initial argument. He's like, I am sick and tired of hearing about rights right? because Picard's arguing about data's rights. Right. And it's it's a little ham fisted, but like it's still that thing of like, okay, like you're clearly you're the bad guy of this episode. Right. Uh, Okay. Yeah. Telegraphing it. Yeah. So. All of this comes down to uh the jag off <laughs> is forced to convene a trial for data. Right. So to determine yeah. whether or not he is property and the trial itself is not the most interesting part of the episode so much as the resolution and kind of the rising action immediately before it. But suffice to say, Picard uh, acts as Data's defense, basically attorney, and okay. the second in command of the Enterprise, William Riker, who is also Data's friend, is forced to prosecute him. Uh, the the way they get around this, like it's clearly just they have to have the main characters be the thing, right? Yeah. They right. say it's a new star base, nobody's here. Will obviously is like, I don't want to do that, right? I'm Data's friend. Yeah oh well if you don't prosecute i'll just rule summarily that he is property it's a giant right like i said he can nitpick the show to death sure right it's yeah the what is important is that at the start Riker is killing it oh so you see him doing research and there's actually an interesting character moment where like what Riker is a really competitive person yeah he's an alpha male and he's doing research on data and he finds something that he shows in the trial. And for a moment, he's like, he's got this grin. He's like, yeah, I found it. <laughs> and he, yeah. then he realizes what he's doing. And he kind of does that, like rub the face, like, oh, my God, what am I doing? Right. Because he, he he got excited yeah. over getting one over on his friend. Right. Right. But Riker's killing it. He shuts data off. He takes his arm off. He like he makes the point like, I mean, he's holy he's, shit. He's an artificial person, right? He's just flat out like, here you <laughs> yeah. go. Yeah, exactly. My so God, he's killing it. Bear in mind, reluctantly, right? He doesn't want to do this, but he, it's his duty. He has to do it. Right. Right. So he's killing it. And Picard asks for a recess. And uh, up to this point, his argument has basically been. Uh, they so data has to identify himself and the computer reads his list of accomplishments and Maddox is trying to say, like, don't list the accomplishments. And the card's like, no, let it go. Right. Yeah. And right. he's got a medal of honor. Uh, he's got like he's he's like he's a superstar decorated. Right? And uh, he's talking about his possessions and stuff like that. Right. The fact that data keeps possessions. So these are like salient points, but it's all blown away by the fact that you can shut him off. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. So Picard's feeling defeated and he goes to 10 forward, which is the bar of the ship. Right. And there is Whoopi Goldberg playing a character called Guinan. Guinan is a super wise, super ancient alien that serves as the bartender on the ship and she has a history with Picard 
Um, how wanted, good. Can, are you able to explain how she ended up as the bartender on the Enterprise? <laughs> I can, but it's worth seeing. OK, it's, all it's right, worth fair discovering. OK, all right. um, so uh, Picard sits down and Guinan basically she's like a great like shoulder to lean on right like okay, she's an ear yeah. she's an ear she she loves to listen to people and she can help right Nuns so people are like always that. come to her, yeah they always come to her with their with their problems and picard's like well it's not going so good you know what i mean like I, Riker basically convinced me right like i don't know how i'm gonna do this right and guy and go ahead i was i just want to point out real quick that like i think that it's really interesting that like his uh his his uh his anxiety over what he's feeling right now is coming from the fact that he is like admitting defeat. He's like, he convinced me, you know what I yeah. mean? I think like, that that's, I think that that's uh, that, that's uh, an like interesting he, aspect of his character. Yeah. Like he doesn't mean in the sense that like he thinks data should go through with it, but it's just right. like, like I'm screwed. Right. Right. Like yeah. R- Riker even has this really artistic thing to this flare. He's like, Pinocchio has been broken. His strings have been cut. Oh right? my god! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's fucking Dante. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, Guinan approaches it from a different angle, and she's she's very subtle with it too, which I like. Yeah. It's not just like she's giving him the answer. He he she gets him there, right? That's why she's a good teacher, a good counselor. Mm-hmm. So she starts off, you know, data is super valuable. Maybe he'll get lucky, right? Because he's valuable to you, Picard, right? And now he's Starfleet property, which makes him more valuable. Picard's like, more valuable? What do you mean? And she says, well, consider that in the history of the universe, there has been a history of disposable creatures. They do the dirty work. And you don't have to think about how they feel or their needs or anything. Right. And Picard's like, you're talking about slavery. And Guinan's like, oh, that's that's too harsh. And Picard's like, no, that's not too harsh at all. Right. So she she gets him to approach this from another angle. The problem is not it is a problem, but the problem is not data submitting to this one procedure. Right. It is setting a precedent for the creation of a slave species. Right. They want to create all these datas to foist all the dirty work onto them. Yeah. So bear in mind, this is kind of a shitty trial. It's just five people in a room. It's the judge. It's Picard, Data, (laughs) Maddox and Riker. More of a tribunal. Yeah. Season season two budget. (laughs) So, um. So Picard starts into his basically his closing argument, right? And he's like, yeah, he gives data data his medals. Why do you keep your medals data? Well, like I want to, you know what I mean? Why do you keep this hologram of Tasha Yar? Well, I can't say because I promised her I would keep it a secret. And Picard's like, well, I think she would understand under the scenario, right? It's like, well, we were intimate. Everybody in the room was like, what? <gasps> right? Yeah. yeah, right. So Picard approaches the problem pretty ingeniously he's he knows me- good i just have this mental image of like two guys in a cafeteria like yeah about the you about the the robot that had sex with a chick it's crazy yeah they, there's no there's no locker room talk on the enterprise thank god no. <laughs> but um 
so Picard is like, you know, uh, Commander Maddox, like you've been talking a lot about sentience. Can you define sentience for me? Right. And he lures Maddox into this trap because he knows that he's a he's basically a blowhard, right? He's a crybaby. He, yeah. he wants his toy. Sure. So he gets Maddox in this trap of like basically defining data as a sentient creature. Mm-hmm. And he says, well, you know, wouldn't this look badly on us? To create a race of sentient creatures, right? You're talking about slavery. And he gives this great speech. Um, I won't read it out, but like it's one of the best Picard speeches. Like the courtroom is a crucible in it. We burn out all impurities until we reach so, a greater, tr- a purer product. The truth for all time, right? Like he, gets super he philosophical. just goes off. Yeah. Awesome. And he he brings it back to basically the mission statement of, of Starfleet, which is like data is a new life form. He's why we're out here. You know what I mean? We should be so happy that we even got to see this. Wow. And yeah. Right. Basically, there's a there's a so there's a happy resolution. Maddox finally realizes what a jackass he's been. Right. He cancels the transfer order. He apologizes to data. He he refers to data as he. So you can he's learned his lesson, which is the other thing I like about Star Trek. Most often. Interesting. Yeah, he was undeniably an asshole, but he didn't like double down. You know what I mean? He's like, okay, I was truly wrong. Data is not just a machine. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, people are complex, you know, and I think and I think that at least from the impression that I get, this is something that. At the very least, Star Trek at least attempts to understand and attempts to show that they understand is that, you know, humans are complex. Humans have complex emotions and not every bad guy needs to be this chaotic, evil, like, yeah, you know, even, swirling, yeah, yeah, even though even though I lost the case. Uh, they're still going to carry me out kicking and screaming, like, yeah. you know, throw me on a transport where with a scene with Picard and everybody giving him the middle finger as he, you know, fucking flies off. This. That's just like I it, I appreciate that it's it's not that type of foundation. Right. And it, it actually goes a step further with this, too. This is why I like the show so much. It, it's kind of more enlightened. Right. So data doesn't have emotions. So he doesn't hold it against Maddox, right? He even tells him like, hey, continue your work. You show promise. And when you're ready, I'll be there. You know what I mean? Like he's yeah. he's telling him like, buck up. You know what I mean? I just don't want to do this. You know what I mean? Right. Don't give up. And the episode closes on this really good note, too, of they're throwing a celebration on the Enterprise for data. Right. So yeah, everybody loves sure. data. Right. And Riker does not attend. He's he's doing the like lonely, like stare out in the space <laughs> on the window thing. Yeah, right. Right. And data comes in and he says, um, like, hey, like, why didn't you come to the party? And Riker's like, oh, I have no right to be there. Data. I like I almost won. You know what I mean? I almost caused you to be disassembled. <laughs> and right? Data's like, OK, buddy, let's <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> he says, uh, so he he breaks it down. He's like, if you had refused to prosecute, she would have ruled summarily against me. Right. And Riker says, yeah, right. Like, it, but I almost won. And Dana's like, well, that action injured you. It hurt you to have to do that to me and saved my life. And I will not forget it. Right. Wow. Like yeah. Data is such a bro. 
Right. You know yeah. what I mean? Like this, but that's it. the whole episode is kind of encapsulated in that, in that ending moment, that ethos of Star Trek, right? Which is in any other show, we wouldn't have, it wouldn't have even gone to slavery. It would have just been fuck you. You can't have data. And the guy would have had a hissy fit in the middle of the court and had to be dragged out, like you said. But they they just keep going that step further and really putting the scenario and the characters in that mindset of the 24th century. You know what I mean? Is this is this something that like you immediately took to? Mm -hmm. As you were as you were coming, like really like kind of emerging into the series. Is this something that was like a hook for you? I had always been a really avid reader and a really avid TV watcher and all these things. And it was so novel to me, the idea that it didn't just devolve into basically shit flinging. Right. The drama if you can even call it drama, right, is was always based around the situation and not the hum, the human qualities of the characters, so to speak. Right. Yeah. Right. Like it was about how do we set law into place to stipulate that like the artificially created life forms have rights. Right. It wasn't fuck commander maddox in particular <laughs> yeah. you know what i mean they didn't right, epically yeah. prank commander maddox you know what i mean <laughs> yeah it but yeah it was just a prank it, it was it was a definite hook for me because i i was always too like especially when i was younger now now some of the topics are a little more trite right when i was younger too i was not used to a show uh talking about gender politics Right. So, yeah, right. I told you about this episode, too, which I mean, I could gush about all the episodes of the next generation. But there's an episode where that basically talks about being transgender and like chemical castration and stuff. Right. And yeah, this as a as a kid in the 2000s, I was like, what is even happening? You know yeah, what I mean? Right. So. Yeah, it, that was a definite hook for me. But this is one of, this is still one of my favorite episodes because I think it's just it, it's such a in as far as you get it in Star Trek, it's such a stand up and clap moment at the end of the movie. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like a it's such a powerful statement. It's a raised fist at the end. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah. yeah. And and I think that I think that just goes I think that goes a long way to representing uh the word that I want to use here is the care that goes into maintaining the pillars of what makes the show the show. Yeah. It's it's you get these episodes from time to time that really like that, that they aren't like space danger episodes. They aren't like, um, you know what I mean? They aren't like flavor of the week kind of things where it's yeah. like this is Star Trek. Right. Yeah. Right. It's, and those are really special. So, yeah, I think that's definitely one we have to watch because that'll get you kind of immersed in like the politics of it. But yeah, let me let me take you on a little journey here. OK, so we're continuing on the arc. We're well, now this is an this is the arc period, right? So, yes. well, I'm also going to screen for you if you guys want to watch. We're going to watch Night Terrors, which I'm not going to talk about here. It is. The episode of The Next Generation that has the most genuinely creepy imagery of anything I've ever seen. I wanted to show you a scary episode, too. Oh, OK, sweet. I'm into uh, it. 
You know, Very, I like the spooks. I think this is the only episode that could still legitimately spook me in the dark. Oh, uh, yeah. It's it's got some creepy stuff in it. Ooh. So it's not worth talking about here, especially because it would be yeah. like super spoilery. Yeah, but sure. We are going to watch that, too. All right. Awesome. But let's start on the arc. So we talked about this a little bit before, but the Borg the Borg. I've made a four-part arc the for you. The famous of, Borg. This is the the Machili order for Picard and the Borg. A Picard and the Borg. Yes. yes. And 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 to be clear, we will put all of the annotations for the episode numbers and shows in the show right. notes. Yes. So, uh, the Borg. For anyone who are not aware, this is the pre-internet meme. Right. Resistance is futile. So. The Borg are a race in Star Trek that are basically a cybernetic hive mind. They are basically machines, right? They're cyborgs and they are they have no sense of individuality. They're just a collective of basically drones that seek out all other like intelligent life and technology in the universe and try to assimilate it. Right. They are. um how to describe them right they're like a they're like a a beehive right a a very angry technological beehive that uh they're murder hornets basically okay they rip they rip your civilization out of the earth literally and assimilate you into their collective right and that's how they become stronger so this four episode arc is a great example of the geopolitics of star trek it's a it's a good look into some of the uh, administrivia like um, fleet management and stuff like that. So it has all these like little lore components. Uh-huh. But the most interesting bit about it is that it will really demonstrate to you the capacity for character development that the show has. OK. And especially more so than like even contemporary. Like uh, so you and I have both watched Supernatural, mm-hmm. another CBS show. Yes. There's not a lot of character growth in Supernatural. You know what I mean? There are some character arcs, but ultimately the brothers serve the same roles by the yeah. end of the show. Yeah, they Sam serve and Dean in the beginning Sam of the show. Yeah. yeah. There's yeah. Like there's there's some drama and stuff, but yeah. Picard goes on a journey over the course of these episodes, which I'm I think you're gonna you're gonna like. So jumping in. This is a four-part arc. This is in season two, the episode Q, who we'll talk about Q in a second. It is the best of both worlds, part one and two, which is the season finale of season three and the first episode of season four. So they ended on a cliffhanger. Oh, OK. I like it. This is the immediate aftermath of the best of both worlds, an episode called Family. And finally, I Borg, uh, which is. It is in season five, episode 23. So I'm going to take technically it's a five part journey, but I'm counting the best of both worlds as basically a single episode. It's one episode. Yeah. yeah. Let me let me take you on this on this journey. Let's do right. this. So season Wait. two. Sorry, go ahead. 30 minutes. Yeah. So season two. We uh, we are already acquainted with this guy called Q. 
right? Q belongs to a race, I'll call them, of beings called the Q Continuum. In the very first episode of the series, Q flexes his omnipotent galaxy-altering powers to put the crew of the next generation on trial for crimes of humanity, right? So he thinks that humans are, which is technically true, an inferior life form, Uh and He's basically toying with them, right? Like humans are so stupid. Like I'm holding you accountable for their crimes, right? So he he is a constant on the show. He appears out of nothingness to cause trouble for the crew. He's a he's a trickster character, right? He's unbelievably powerful. Uh, he has a specific fascination with Picard, right? Interesting. Fixated so, on him. Yes. So. Uh, Q shows up in this episode by teleporting Picard out of the Enterprise and onto a shuttle like light years away. Right. It's too far for the Enterprise to even find them. And he leans back in his chair in the shuttle and he's like, you know, Picard, I've been thinking. Right. I want to join the Enterprise. Take me with you. <laughs> right. And Picard at this point, everybody hates Q. Right. So he's, he's a shitster. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. So he was like. No, (laughs) just no. (laughs) Absolutely not. And Q starts arguing his case. He's like, well, you know, I have all these powers. It's a dangerous galaxy out there. Like you could use me. Right. And Picard's he's basically giving him the silent treatment. So they go back to the ship and Riker and Worf end up joining the conversation. And Picard lets slip that. Hey, right. Uh, I should I should mention too. Guinan is there. Guinan knows Q for reasons that are not explained. She does this kind of like kung fu pose, like almost like warding <laughs> him away. Yeah, right? okay, and he, yeah. he does the same thing. Neither it's clear neither of them like each other. Okay, right? they just kind of fangs up, and that's it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, right. But anyway, Picard lets slip that you know we're ready to see the galaxy. We don't need you. Despite everything you've said, we have ingenuity and like, well, Guinan even says they'll adapt. That is their strength. Right. And Q hears this argument of like, no, we're ready for anything. The galaxy's got to throw at us. And he he has this like smug moment. It's like, well, we'll see about that. And before Guinan can stop him, Q snaps his fingers and the Enterprise is teleported thousands of light years away oh shit Fur- further away than any ship has ever been before at least uh, i think that's true right yeah so in a, they're in an unknown quadrant of space guinan knows the area and they're trying to figure out what happened q leaves right and picard's like hey you know about this area of space what should we do and guinan says if i were you i would start heading home which according to them is like two years away at maximum speed or something like that <laughs> i would start heading home now oh right? my god so the threat is real <laughs> yes so they don't they still don't know what's really happening well picard ever the explorer is like we got to look around a little bit <laughs> yeah, right? sure right and they find evidences of civilizations that are gone like they've been ripped out of the earth Uh and this is important because uh the same thing has been happening to federation and romulan outposts along the neutral zone where they've just been kind of ripped out of the earth without explanation right so 
turns out why this is happening. They are approached by a literal cube in space. It looks like a mass of pipes and like wires. Oh, it's shit. It's in the shape of a cube in space, right? And it approaches them. And Guinan explains that this is the Borg. And they are the, the race that destroyed her civilization and turned her people into nomads scattered across the, the galaxy. Oh, right? okay. So she says... Like basically run, get, get the like fuck you, out. Yeah, but she's like, "There's nothing <laughs> you can do about it, right?" Yeah, uh, except so, your fate. To, su- to we're gonna really quickly summarize here, but the crux of the episode is that the Borg, like this, is the first encounter. A little drone beams aboard, and he's like kind of zapping all the technology. He's clearly like trying to scout them out, right? And they haven't been able to really make contact, and. They're trying to shoot him, but the phasers aren't working. So Worf cranks it like the whole way up and he like modulates it or something and he blasts the drone and the drone falls over and is dead. Right. Because yeah. like Picard's they're They're trying to reason with him. Picard's like, OK, I can't let him interfere with the ship. Worf fire. Right. Immediately, another drone warps in and it doesn't even like give anybody the time of day. Right. His buddy's dead on the ground. He's like, eh, whatever. Right. And he starts zapping the equipment. <laughs> and War- Picard's like, okay, fire. Jeez. And Worf fires again. But now the phaser won't work. It's being blocked by some kind of shield. Right? Yeah. So the Borg, it is immediately obvious that they are far uh superior in terms of technology. They they have they even say that they finish their scan, they go back to their ship, and they're like, we have determined that your defenses are like insufficient to withstand us. Prepare to be assimilated. Holy your, shit. Culture, your culture will serve our culture. Right. <laughs> and yeah. And it's like they're like, we, we we're used to doing diplomacy and stuff, but whatever. They get into combat and they fight. Suffice to say, this whole episode does not go well for the Federation. Uh, it's a very humbling moment. Mm. Right. They lose. They lose some of their crew members like faceless people but like to them crew members have been lost and ultimately q shows back up and the the like before the last stand right he shows up and he says hey don't you think you need me and picard basically says look you wanted us to admit that we're frightened we're frightened get us out of here i need i need you q right yeah so q gives what he wants and he snaps his fingers and he sends them back home safely back home and they kind of have a debriefing with q where they're obviously mad at him and he gives kind of a salient point which is like you would have encountered him soon enough anyway and you know what i mean like you're you thought you were ready you're not you know what i mean you got to get ready like this was a bloody nose there's, uh, yeah, there's, I mean, there's so much worse out there. Doesn't this kind of give you beneficial perspective? Yeah, exactly. So this is also one of the first hints that Q is not purely like this evil person. Right. Yeah. That he's so, complex. Yeah. So uh, the episode ends uh, with the knowledge acknowledged by the crew that the Borg now know that something is out there and they'll see them again. Right. Cut to the best of both worlds. So the best of both worlds is probably one of the most famous episodes of the next generation because okay. it was a cliffhanger. Yes. And because of the contents of the episode. Controversially a cliffhanger? No, 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 no. This oh, is okay. actually the I would say this is probably the only cliffhanger that's actually interesting enough and oh. like lands. Interesting. Uh, the last okay. cliffhanger in the series is actually pretty poor. But Ooh. yeah, this is this is great. Okay. So 
see the end of season three. Uh, it become Picard is talking to an admiral about a potential Borg threat, right? Mm-hmm. And the Federation has been busy in this time. It's been a season, right? So some time has passed, right? And it's been over a season, and they're trying to come up with ways to combat the Borg. And to that end, he's brought aboard a um, a commander, a lieutenant commander that is like their specialist on the board. She's been leading this task force to get new ships made and all this kind of stuff. Right. All of this is framed within the idea that Commander Riker has just been offered another command of a starship and he's turned it down again, which this is news to us. Right. Right. So he's he's turned down the big chair. Right. And there's a lot of drama between him and the new incoming commander. Not even really drama, but the new commander is operating under the assumption that, OK, Riker's going to leave. This is going to be my new job. Right. I'm going to be the second in command of the Enterprise. Right. And Riker d- doesn't want to give it up. And there's some. Uh, friction between them of her wanting to do things her own way and not liking to have to do it Riker's way. Sure. Right. Cause he's still right. in charge. Yeah. So all of this happens, right? They're tracking the Borg. They find evidence of another destroyed colony. There's this really cool shot. It's like a matte painting shot of like this destroyed colony. Oh, cool. The Borg find them and they enter combat with the Borg. And the reason they enter combat with the Borg is the Borg are headed directly to the Terran system. Sector 001, they call it. They're going to basically destroy Earth. Right. And this has been how long since they came into contact with them the first time? Like like a year. So they said that it should take like two years. years, And it's been a year. So they're they're already like they're clearly more powerful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So. They enter combat with the Borg, right? And Picard gets captured and assimilated. <sighs> and we know this because they're like, shit, they got Picard. What do God, they need Picard damn. for? Like, are they trying to get our tactical knowledge? What? And they they get hailed by the Borg. And in walks Picard and he's been assimilated and he says, I am Locutus of Borg, prepare to be assimilated. Resistance is futile, prepare to be assimilated. That's the pre-internet meme. That was Uh, what everybody was saying was uh, resistance is futile. futile. And the the episode ends with Riker giving Worf the order to fire on the cruiser. Oh, my God. On the Borg cruiser. So you're thinking, right, if you're watching this you're, in real time, like you're like, holy shit. <laughs> yep. <laughs> holy holy shit, shit. They killed Picard. Yeah. Like Picard's gone. Riker's going to be the new captain. Right. So all of this, the best of both worlds is yeah. referring to two things. It's referring to Picard being a human and a Borg. But it's also referring to Riker having gone through this journey in this episode. He's talking to Troy. He's like, what am I doing? Why am I passing a command? Well, you're happy here. You like it on the Enterprise. Riker's got the best of both worlds now. He's the captain, but he's the captain of the Enterprise. So this is about Borg is like endless ambition and Riker's ambition. Right. It's just narratively, it is such a good 
juxtaposition between the two of them. Yeah. They're just the set on such opposite sides, sharing just like this very common, like, you know, core theme. Yeah, it's it's a whole thing about ambition because then you have Commander Shelby, the new commander, too. Like she's ambitious, like she's coming in trying to shake things up. It's this whole kind of uh, it, it's it's contrasting everybody. Right. The things just really coalesce. Yeah. So they they fight the Borg. They fight Picard and we we come back in season uh, season four, episode one. Right. And in the best of both worlds, part uh, part two, they lose. Not they don't get destroyed, but the Borg whoops them. Right. Yeah. Right. So they kind of limp away and they hide, I think, in like a nebula or something like that. Somewhere where the Borg can't use their sensors. Sure. So they're enacting repairs and they call back to home base and they're like, hey, we, we got did a some fucking dam- problem. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We did some damage, <laughs> but they're on their way and we have to do repairs. Right. Yeah. So the Admiral picks up. And he's like, well, we're going to intercept them at Wolf 359 and we'll see you there. And the the Enterprise are like, yep, we'll see you there. Well, turns out that does not go so well. In fact, I would say it does not go well at all for the Federation. The Battle of Wolf 359 is a total crushing defeat for the Federation. I think like 11 ships are lost and like thousands of people. And this is is like unfathomably devastating compared like compared to anything you've ever seen in the show yes and it's also worth noting that like in terms of like the federation's fleet power that's like a crippling blow yeah right so well, they're not fighters yeah they're they're they have military by necessity right like to protect themselves by but yeah, necessity they're not, keyword yeah they're 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 non-aggressive right. so um, they come back and they see the wreckage and the devastation and they're chasing the Borg to Earth. And of note, the ship that Riker was going to be given command of is one of the ships lost in this fight, too. Oh, shit. So he would wow. have been deader than dead. Right? right. Well, anyway, they catch up to the Borg ship and they they pull a maneuver. They basically trick them. They think they're going to they think they're going to use a strategy that Picard was already aware of. Right. Because they took him, they should have all of his thoughts. Right. They sneak aboard the ship and they get Picard out. And the reason is they want to try and figure out how they work from Picard. Right. So uh, the episode basically ends. um, They're studying Picard. They got him out. And for a moment, Picard's true personality comes out and he says to Data, who's working on him, sleep Data. And someone, I think it's Crusher, the doctor, is like, oh, he must be so tired. And Data's like, no, he's he's saying, let's give them a command that they can't ignore that's simple to input. Let's put them to sleep. It's time to regenerate, right? Yeah. So their their ships, by the way, have like regenerative regenerative capacity. Like yeah. They can, they're like almost nanomachine, like, like they can fix. Right. right. Yeah, yeah, right. So they put him to sleep and then they, they destroy the ship while they're asleep. Right. Yeah. So the episode ends with uh, Picard now de-assimilated. They removed all the cybernetic components. And he has like a surgical like bandage or something on his face. Right? OK. Yeah. So he says he says he still had his like flesh and blood body. Yeah. So the okay. Borg are the Borg are cyborgs. They yeah. they put cybernetics in biotic components okay got it so your body's still there but you're assimilated right got it. so this comes this actually comes in in uh the last episode of the 
thing here. So um, anyway, the Picard has this lonely look out on Earth, right? And you can see he's changed. Like when he's being assimilated, a single tear comes down his eye and he tells people <laughs> like, oh, I remember everything. Right. Uh, like I, right. I it's, it was just like not being in control. Yeah. So. The episode ends and Riker no longer has the best of both worlds. And Picard was forever scarred by being the best of both worlds. Right. So the very next episode on on a lot of shows, you would just not acknowledge that. Right. Right. And OK, on to the next thing. Family. One of the primary plots is the fallout of what just happened on Picard's life. Right. So. Obviously, everybody needs a break, so they're given shore leave on Earth, the Enterprise is, right? And Picard takes the opportunity to go home to France to see his brother and his brother's family, which he Picard doesn't really interface with them all that much. Right. So he goes home and his his brother runs, runs a winery. He meets his nephew for the first time. He meets his family. And it's just a really kind of... How do I put it? It's a really kind of emotional and vulnerable moment for a character that doesn't really have those. You know what I mean? And I think it's like, an important time to show it, too, after something yeah. like that. Right. Because he, he's been traumatized. Right. Uh, on a level that is really hard to understand. Mm -hmm. Right. So he goes home and he meets his brother and they have an argument. Right. And he he's kind of his brother's kind of giving him the cold shoulder. They don't really get along and they, they just have this. They have this really heated argument where the brother's like, oh, I was always jealous of you. You always had to be the best at everything. And now you just come limping home. You know what I mean? <laughs> you want me to take care of you again? Like I used Ooh. to take care of you. Picard's like, you were a bully. You know what I mean? Like, uh, so <laughs> it's just, like yeah, exactly. This That's a pretty good impression. Uh, they, they have this really heated argument and it just degenerates into this all out brawl in the mud. Right. Oh, great. These I two love older it. guys I love it. Decking, decking each other in the grumpy mud. Old dirty. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And eventually they kind of roll off each other. They're exhausted. And Picard's just like weeping. Yeah. Right. And uh, his brother's like, oh, it must have been hard on you. Right. And he's like, no, you don't understand. Like they they made me kill people and I couldn't beat them. I wasn't strong enough. I should have been strong enough. You know, and he has this like really like he's he shut down yeah right? and his brother just kind of frames it for him in this great way of like oh well i see you're human you know i mean i never knew you were human like humans make mistakes humans fail humans aren't good enough my great brother you know what i mean so yeah. this is the release that picard needed right R really the, leaning over, into the humanity of what he's feeling yeah over the course of the episode he's considering leaving starfleet like he's oh, he's wow. he's done. He's like, yeah. uh, no, I can't go on. You know what I mean? Again, another right. aspect I think is important to show to just demonstrate the gravity of the conflict that he had. Yeah. And you really feel for him, too, because like at least as a viewer, like the way I've always interpreted it, I never blamed Picard. Right. But the character blames himself. Right. Like I, I killed all those people. You know what I mean? You can say that I was assimilated or whatever and not in my right mind, but I killed all those people. You know what I mean? I have to live with that forever. Go, so, go, it goes a long way in, uh, you know, evoking uh, sympathy for a character in an unrelatable circumstance. I think that a lot of times you would see certain shows rely too much on empathy. 
where it's like we have to put the viewer in this person's shoes. And I think that this is just it, or at least from what it sounds like, is a really good example of how to invoke that sort of emotion out of the viewer without needing to put them in Picard's shoes specifically. Right. And it's also like he Picard is not typically the character that requires help. Yeah. And it's fitting, too, that it comes from his family, from his brother. Like yeah. They, they kind of reconcile his brother jokes like, I still don't like you. Yeah, you know what sure, I mean? But right, like, right, you're right. still my family. Mm-hmm. And they they end up in the house and they're singing like folk songs while drinking wine and they're clearly like <laughs> drunk. You know what I mean, like they're yeah. they're bonding. <laughs> yeah. But it's it's just it's cool because he's usually not the character that requires help. He's the character that gives it. Yeah. And he, I mean, he's been broken in this way that it actually deals with the repercussions of it. And segue speaking about repercussions of the the Bork incident. So I'm I'm attacking this on as part of the arc. This is I Borg. So this is season five. This is basically two seasons later. Yeah. Years later. Uh, this is a it's a it's a kind of a single encapsulated episode, but I just like the way that it, it portrays Picard's arc, okay. especially in the context of Starfleet. Mm-hmm. So the premise of this episode is uh, the Enterprise finds a distress signal. And at the other end of the distress signal, they find a single Borg drone that has been basically shut off from the collective. Right. He's alone, which is not something the Borg ever have to contend with. So most of them are like, OK, let's destroy it. Right. It's a Borg before right. before more Borg show up to answer the distress call. Let's destroy it. And Dr. Crusher, ever the medical eth- like the <laughs> ethics of medicine person is, no, we have to take it back to the ship so I can treat it. Right? <laughs> yeah. They end up with the Borg prisoner on the ship and they come up with this idea that, hey, we could send him back to the collective and implant basically like a logic bomb inside of him that when he goes back to the collective his thoughts will like enter the collective thought yeah and this like mind exactly and this logic puzzle will just like kind of eat up all their cpus and they'll just shut down right because they'll (laughs) they'll never be able to solve it it's made to not be solvable and they'll just keep adding like processes to try and figure it out and they never will right right so that's kind of um, sweet. <laughs> yeah. So they, cool they're, they're thinking outside the box here because they they know the Borg are a threat. Yeah. And right. they they come to this moment where the more they interact with the Borg, in particular, Jordy LaForge, they start to realize that not everything is as it seems. So Jordy is res- kind of responsible for him. He like sets up an electrical outlet so he can feed Right. Because they they need electricity to eat. Basically, they need power. Yeah. And they're he's running tests on him with Dr. Crusher and scanning him. And he realizes that the Borg, the more he talks to him, the Borg is saying, like, you will be assimilated. And Jordy's like, well, I don't want to be assimilated. You know, he's getting real sassy with it. Right. Why do you not want to be assimilated? Like, well, you see, that's the thing. You keep saying we like we're asking you who you are and you say like three of five or whatever. Right. I I am Jordy LaForge. I have individuality. All these comments and questions. The the Borg drone regains a sense of individuality. They name it. They name the cow they're supposed to be slaughtering. Right. Like rule number one. Right. Yeah. So his name, they call him Hugh. Right. So okay. Hugh starts to 
starts to basically regain his individuality and his sentience in that way, right? As a result, all the original proponents of the plan, Jordy and Data and all these folks, and uh, they they are like, okay, I can't do this to Hugh because Hugh is he's not a Borg drone or even like in a more enlightened sense, the Borg are not something we can just wipe out. Yeah. Right. So um, they they rope in Guinan. Guinan and Picard are still they hate the Borg. Right. They For rope in Guinan. Reasons. Yeah, because Guinan, they destroyed our civilization in Picard. I mean, obviously. Right. Right. So Guinan goes to meet Hugh and even she is like, like, like they're talking about it beforehand. And she gives the kind of the canned response of like Borgs don't have individuality. Yeah. But she goes to meet Hugh and she's like, well, this goes against everything I understand. You know what I mean? I can't I can't look at Hugh and think of him as like a Borg in that way. I can't think of him as an enemy to be destroyed. Right. And the reason this is part of the the arc is this this reveals the human aspect of Picard in a way that I don't think is really done in a lot of other episodes in such a good way where Picard still hasn't gotten over his trauma, which I think is fair. I don't think he ever will. But two seasons later, basically at the end of runtime for the season, he has to confront his demons and he's talking to, I think, Jordy in the ready room. And Jordy says something to the effect of like he 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 names him Hugh and he talks about how Hugh has individuality and Picard's like he's so angry. He's like. The Borg don't have individuality. I was assimilated. I know you're part of the collective. You know, he's like he's he's frustrated that all these people are coming and telling him we can't do this. Right. Because he he's still holding on to that hatred. He has a lot of fucking trauma. Yeah. And he has this really cool moment. I'm going to spoil it for you, but you have to hear it. Okay. so he sends Jordy out of the room. And his facial expression becomes very neutral and he says, identify and the borg says hugh and he says hugh is not a borg designation identify and he says three of five or whatever his name is and because hugh recognizes him as locutus right he even calls him locutus when he enters the room oh okay and and picard's like grilling him he's like why are you here and he's like well i was like stranded or whatever why are you here locutus i am here to facilitate the assimilation of this culture into our own right and he's He's he you find he's putting on a bluff. Right. right. But right. But he's he's like, no, I'm still locutus. Right. I'm talking to you like I'm like, we're in this together. What are you doing here? Right. And Hugh says he, he says some kind of response to Picard, but he uses the uh, the con, I think it's called a conjunctive. But he, he refers to himself as I. He speaks like an individual. Uh-huh. And Picard finally realizes he's like, shit. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> wow. Yeah. He's like, like, did you just refer to yourself as an individual? Son this shouldn't be bitch. possible. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Right. So he does a complete 180 and they're kind of up against a ticking clock in this episode. because they're like, oh, the Borg are coming. The Borg are coming. We got to get this shit ready. Right. Right. And Picard, he I mean, he mans up. This is why I like this character so much. Like as soon as he realizes that his little petty hatred, right, isn't like that simple right he he immediately changes his position he's like hugh 
what do you want? And he's like, what do you mean? What do I want? Like, you have to send me back. Like, I don't want to go back, but you have to because there's more of you than me. And you should pick that. Right. And Picard's like, no, we'll offer you asylum if you want to come back. You know what I mean? We'll, we'll have to figure out what we do with the Borg, but we can't in good conscience send you back to be assimilated to lose what you've become. And Hugh has this tearful goodbye with Jordy, but no, he's like, no, I don't want to go back. But if, if I he, like he, he calls Jordy his friend. Right. Oh, and which is yeah. huge for a Borg, right. right? Yeah. And he's like, if if I stay here, they'll hurt Jordy. I don't want them to hurt Jordy. So I'll go back. Right. So they send him back. And it's this kind of just a somber moment. Like I've told you, too, there's a lot of episodes that just don't have happy endings. Yeah. Like Hugh just gets reassimilated. Right. And they have this kind of like sappy moment of like, hopefully the experience he had is Hugh that will enter the collective and some of them will think about individuality which that doesn't really get explored but like it, it's just kind of a somber moment of like shit like well like did we even make it worse you know what i mean you have to think about that of like by giving him individuality and sending him back to having it be taken away you know what i mean like what have we done in a sense? And now the Borg are still out there. So it was a, it was a net loss. They've, a, they've understood their enemy a bit more, but that's about it. It's a really interesting look at, I think, the. The the concept of 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 true conflict between not necessarily even characters, but ideologies. Yeah. And I think that that is very think that it's very difficult to represent in a way that is digestible for the average viewer and i think simply you know putting putting picard in that state you know after what he went through with being assimilated having him sort of like you said confront those demons but also it comes back to the core foundation of star trek that these are enlightened thinkers yeah. these are people that even going back and thinking about what he went through, uh, being assimilated, being with the Borg, and then the process of uh, being, uh, you know, coming out of that and going, going to deal with it, like you said, the episode in Family, to finally come to that moment, which is almost like, almost like a breakthrough for him. Yeah, you know, I it, it just again, like you said, it, it just goes back to the core foundations of the show, and I think that that's just a really really important piece of the puzzle for it yeah there's i mean i think that like by no means is this indicative of the entire series there are far more standalone episodes and concepts that there are like these major arcs but i think it's a good microcosm of like i couldn't possibly explain every picard moment or every yeah. any character moment but this is a good microcosm of showing that the a lot of the situations are still informed by the characters, even if they're not written in that typical way of like character drama. Right. All of these episodes in some way are shown through the lens of Picard. Right. Like Q who is mainly a Picard episode. Uh, the the best of both worlds has a lot of emphasis on Picard until it has emphasis on Locutus. Yeah. Right. right. And even I Borg, even though it's mostly a Jordy episode, a lot of the core drama, like the the climax is Picard. Right. Yeah. And I, th I think this really shows off that 
you know, the the bullseye moment of like really watching an interesting situation unfold with unique characters. That's what it's yeah. all about. So the Michelli order, the Michelli order. We're going to tackle it head on. We are. And then we're going to see what you think. And I'm going to I'm going to compare this. So the the benefit of constructing an arc like this, too. Yeah. Is I can compare it to the arc of Star Trek Picard and oh. like beat by beat. Uh, so I guess it's the arc plus measure of a man. I can I can compare it beat by beat and show you exactly <laughs> how they have spat in the face of every single component of what I've talked about today. Well, we're going to watch that. We're definitely going to look at that. We're also going to talk about it. Yes. But we're going to do that on the next episode, because for now, let's go watch some fucking Star Trek. Absolutely. King of the ship.